welcome listeners to the Fear Response Podcast. Today we're here to talk about a film that you may not have heard of. We just kind of stumbled on it. It's not yeah. perfect, but we love it for what it is. A little movie called The Exorcist. A little diamond in the rough. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness we, we stumbled upon it because it turns out we actually liked a few things about it. Yeah, and that's why you guys listen to this podcast is so that we can weed through all the riffraff and, you know, find little nuggets for you guys. Bring you movie recommendations from 1971. And, and we, yeah, sorry, spoilers, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah, do we even have to say that? Spoiler we, alert for The Exorcist if you haven't seen it. We assume we already have a really big following and you guys have just been waiting for us to tell you what to watch. Uh, you're welcome. Welcome to our millions of listeners. Yeah. I'm sorry we can't get to all your fan mail. We don't have yeah. merch ready yet, but it's coming. A uh, little bit about us. So I am John, and this is my co-host, Jenna. So just to tell you guys a little bit about us, Jenna and I met at a very young age. Yeah, well, I was younger. Yes. Still am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we met at a very young age, and uh, the more we got to know each other, pretty much became clear that we had a lot in common like a scary amount in common not the least of which being our love of horror movies which is how this podcast was born uh and also jenna and i are siblings Uh, okay no i thought you were gonna say parents (laughs) like that we share so much oh and then be like oh parents yeah being one of the things yeah exactly yeah no well not the least (laughs) of which parents and a sibling and love of horror movies and a sibling too. Yeah, well. a few dogs. We shared a home. Yeah, a lot of things. Too like many that. things to count. So we're here to talk about The Exorcist, which, in fairness, is one of our favorite horror movies. Yes. Um, which kind of comes back to the sibling thing, I think, which will come up a little later because we thought that our dad loved this movie, <laughs> but now we're not so sure, <laughs> given recent events that have happened. In addition to loving horror movies, of all shapes and sizes uh <laughs> jenna and i also happen to be mental health workers and so we don't have the same job but we do both work in the field and so our perspectives are a little different but what we find is we can't really help but kind of mm-hmm. look at some of these movies through that lens i think and john would you like to tell us what it is that you do in the mental health sphere Sure. So I I started in the field as a mental health counselor of youth and families. And now I'm in a position where I oversee uh, a group of counselors, but still very much in the youth mental health sector, which is, is a pretty different vantage point from yours. Yes. I am a nurse, have been for about eight years. I've worked in inpatient and outpatient settings, but have lately settled in inpatient, um, specifically psychiatry, uh, addictions, and mental health. And I really love it. Really want to stick around. Uh, never a dull moment in this field. Yeah, no kidding. And I'm sure Darn right. any of our mental health worker friends out there, I'm sure would agree. I want to have like a, a soundboard where we could do like, <laughs> you know, like the audience noises of like, ooh, or yeah. like, aww. I think I can do that in post. Yes. <laughs> Just so you know. We'll do it. We're not going to do it live. It's the or reverse like, of Bill O'Reilly's to, problem. I wanted to use something of like, fuck it, we'll do it live. Yeah, exactly. But then it's like, we are doing it live. I wanted to How do can like we a, work that joke in? There's no way. <laughs> I wanted to do like a wah, wah to something, but I can't remember what now. Mm, maybe when that director gets viciously killed. Wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There'll be a time for it. We'll but that, it all happens off screen, though. It's just they're Here. like, he's dead. 
John's going to give us a synopsis right over chow. <laughs> you want to try one more time? <laughs> John's going to give us a synopsis. Take it away, John! <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so we, we watched this a few times uh, recently. Had to refresh ourselves. One time we were just watching it for fun, but then, you know, a couple times we watched it. We didn't have any fun, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun movie. It's just fun. Nonstop laughs. Um, Yeah, so I I mean, I watched it very recently, and so I was kind of taking some notes by scene, and so might as well kind of walk through the movie. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, 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 it's definitely required reading for any kind of horror fan. And for that reason, I'm sure most of you have. But just generally, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of it, do you have any idea what you like about it? Like what what makes it a favorite of yours? It is cool because it has a lot of lore to it. Although that's also kind of the the stuff that makes it in like to look back on it from our perspective now uh, makes it a little bit cringy sometimes to look back at the fact that people actually got hurt during the making of it and that the filming of it was really pretty intense and stuff so obviously the what was like achieved was really cool but is it worth it for what the people went through so that's kind of a cool thing because there's a million facts you could know behind the scenes like this happened that happened and is it one of those movies that's kind of like cursed that some of the actors had like kind of ill fortunes afterwards you could definitely say so so i think that both Reagan's actress uh, and Linda Blair Blair and Catherine Burston, who is the mom, they both had serious back injuries from the same, I think this, the same scene, maybe like the, when Reagan's in the bed, flip flopping around, she hurt her back. Right. Well, one of the interesting things about that, you know, one of the, one of the things that I had really noticed about it was that this movie 50 some odd years later i think really holds up and i think one of the reasons for that is because they were relying almost entirely on practical effects right no that makes a difference to me but then that's also maybe one of the reasons that they got jerked around they hurt their back things like that because like people were flying around and and sorry you asked me what was what makes it a favorite and that's one of the things and i think also just anything that's to do with christian faith and catholic religion specifically has an extra kind of spooky fun feel because there's so much i don't know like written about it and history and i want to i'm going to say lore again about it because that makes it extra kind of special and ethereal feels like it's on like another plane so it's lots to work with that's really fun and interesting it's a good point like thousands and thousands of years of written history Mm -hmm. you know because like the earth was invented 2022 years ago 22 years ago right so it's that much history yeah Yeah, like that's insane Mm -hmm. right so entire history of the planet and i i think it's also partially like i mean where we live and where we grew up yes you know, where, Catholicism yeah. and Christianity is certainly the the most common religion. And so it's something that we're at least tertiarily familiar with. I was 11 before I knew I wasn't Catholic. Right, right. There you go. Yeah, I just assumed. 
<laughs> That's real, though. You were I just did. strutting around, being like, well, "I could go in anywhere." Not, not eleven. Do, no, what? When is it that you do reconciliation? It's when you're uh, in grade three, and I know because I told mom. I said, "Oh, mom, I know exactly what I'm going to confess." I was excited, and she was like, "You don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> and I wish I remembered what I was going to confess. Probably oh. stole something. <laughs> I was going to say back then you didn't have too much empathy, so I'm surprised you could really think of anything that you were going to come up with to be like, I shouldn't have done yeah, that. Yeah, I made something up. Yeah. Maybe you spoke to yourself too harshly. Your inner monologue. Yeah, you said, you know what? I wasn't proud enough of myself. Didn't give myself enough credit. <laughs> yeah, tragedy. Yeah, this is a favorite of mine, too. It could easily be my favorite, although once mm. I get to my like top 10, I think I have trouble really sorting them out mm-hmm. in terms of what's better than what. But... I don't know. Like, I I just think it's a really tight story, in my opinion. There's not a lot of fat to anything. It's like every everything that they have in there really tell it adds a lot of detail to the story. And and it it kind of moves things along really quickly. Just every scene with Reagan, especially once she's possessed, it's hard to look away from. There's something very captivating about it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's still kind of shocking too even in 2022 i I thought that today when i was watching it i thought that it's still because when i put it on to play it said pg-13 or something like that on it yeah and it said for gore intense scenes or something like that and i was like okay this seems like it could be more than that particularly because she's a child and the sexual language when she forces her mom's face into her bloody crotch that's one of them yeah, like th- those are the things that I would have thought would kind of put it on. I think the one that I was watching had an R rating. Yeah, and like I said, I one of the things I was thinking about while I watched it was like I had a few notes a few different times. Was it, it's hard to believe, in my opinion, how well it's held up. You I know, agree. This much, this much longer, this much later after having been released, because the effects still look really good. And I think that when it was released, it was people were protesting it it was like a phenomenon i think that that's right um although i think that ultimately the catholic church had kind of a good in my opinion perspective on it because i feel like they should it sent the right message right it's like ultimate according to them ultimately the the villain and all the evil was the devil and the all the good stuff was coming from the priests yeah the priests were the two good guys just trying to help the little girl they were like the proto superheroes of the time father Marin and father yeah i don't think that there were any superheroes before that ever probably not and i think that um everyone after was inspired by them i see a lot of that in like your black panthers your she hulks oh i see a lot of father karis in them yeah, and it's almost it's it's very difficult as well to separate out someone like the Juggernaut from Father Marin, the old guy. But isn't the Juggernaut a bad guy? Sometimes. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> but he's on uns- the Juggernaut, bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's Father Marin all day, <laughs> yeah. and he's also unstoppable and strong, like Father Marin was. Until R- R.I.P. Un- yeah. It's, again, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen he dies this at movie, the end. straight to jail. How dare you? But, yeah, spoilers ahead for Straight sure. First scene, kind of the archaeological dig, which is in Iraq. Yeah. And that, you can get me going with that all all day because I love a little bit of the investigation part of movies. I love when people go, you know, to figure stuff out, like go to the archives, like 
in uh, in like seven. The library scene. Yeah, I like that, and I feel like it's a similar kind of similar kind of thing. So he's at this dig, and I don't really understand what he's doing there or what his purpose is, other than he seems like he's interested in kind of ancient artifacts with regards to religion. And then they kind of break open a little chasm and they, and they find a few things, uh, but he that's when he pulls out the idol, right? Yeah. So and like a little statue of yeah. Pazuzu, I'm guessing. And do you know what's really interesting is that in those scenes, there's a lot of like show don't tell because it's like him like sitting at the cafe and like, lo- and then looking at the statue and the dogs are fighting. Right. Like, and there's no words to any of that. It's just kind of following him around in his perceptions. Kind of- yeah. And then it, I th- it does a lot of cutting around in those scenes. And I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons, like we've said earlier, they're trying to tell a lot of stuff. Right. And so they're trying to give backstories for people and they're trying to explain a whole lot. And this is like, a total satellite scene from everything else that happens in the whole yeah. movie, which is interesting too, right? So they cut right to him. He's kind of having tea, I think, and that's when they introduce the fact that he is old. Yeah. It's like that big reveal. Yeah. The like, sudden twist. He is was that old he's the old whole now. time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and he's like really shaking around and he's taking pills. And so you know that, you know, he's, he's obviously not very virile. No, virile <laughs> young man. No, but he, you could tell that he's obviously not very well abled anymore. And then the last scene, like right before he starts to leave, he has like a standoff with the big Pazuzu statue. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah, which was really interesting. So, like, isn't that I, when the dogs are going crazy? Yes, yes, it is. They're like wild dogs in the desert, basically, right? And so I didn't know, like, if he knew something about Pazuzu, who is apparently, like, a, a demon. I didn't know if he was there to find stuff specifically about him. I wasn't sure, but it was clearly, like, a connection between he and Father Marin, which is pretty interesting given what happens later. I've seen this movie described as centered around Father Marin in that it says it's a standoff between him and the demon, which is a funny way that I never perceived it as that ever because he's not actually in it tremendously much. No, and everything with Father Marin in it is like 100 miles an hour. When he gets involved again, mm-hmm. it's like instant yeah. that he arrives at their doorstep and then is one of the most important characters of what's going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. That is interesting. And I've seen some of the same stuff that when you consider how Reagan got involved in everything that happens in the movie... It doesn't really make sense why it would be her. No. Right? Because it's totally across the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have seen some people basically theorizing, I guess, that that really the movie is about Pazuzu targeting Father Marin and Father Karras. And they do it by inhabiting Reagan, right? So that was interesting to me, too, because I'd never really considered it that way. No. I... Yeah, I guess I didn't think of, think about it that deeply about what the demon wanted. I was just like, oh, it's in, in this little girl. I'm going to figure that out. Right, exactly. But then all of a sudden, like at ne- neck-breaking speed, we are in yeah. Georgetown. Yeah. And that's when she we first are introduced to Chris, the mom. Yep. And she's hearing rats in the attic. Right. She's hearing rats in the attic, which I guess, so are we supposed to think that the demon is just kind of like making noises up there? I guess so. Like, I really doubt that we're supposed to think that 
the demon, demon is, is like physically, physically there. there. No, I didn't think so either. But then I thought later in the movie when the ceiling cracks, I'm like, maybe, oh. maybe it's making the house shift. So we're in Georgetown. She says to her manservant, go upstairs and get, the, you know, how you do. You say, go up and get all the rats. And he says, there aren't any rats. And she's like, there are. I know. Go up and get them. This is maybe me being a little persnickety, but she does a lot of like scolding and yelling at people in this movie, including her poor servants who seem to be genuinely nice people who are really trying to help. Nothing compared to what her weird goofball boyfriend does later, but we'll get to that. But then one scene that I like, so when when she does go to do her like acting and she's talking to the director about what she's supposed to do, and they're kind of joking with each other, and Father Karras is in the like crowd. Like, what the fuck and is he's that? Like, was <laughs> was like he supposed? To, it's like a crash zoom on his face, <laughs> he's like, and he's yeah. like laughing because she says She's she wants to him. rewrite the script, and then he talks her down, and everyone laughs. But Father Karras is right there. Like, is he is he an extra in this film? It no, doesn't make any sense no, he to le- me. He leaves before she starts filming, but I guess he's just like a oh, movie star in the pictures. And he's interested by it. That was very confusing to me yeah. because it was like very strange. She's trying to introduce all the characters, I guess. It's our first introduction to her completely fucked up director boyfriend. Yeah. Her movie is called Crash Course. It has something to do with the big protest where they're trying to stop and a she university. Says, Let them learn. Yeah, something she's like trying that. to stop a university from being closed. Maybe that's why Karis was there because he works at a university, right? He works at the seminary or something. He's wearing a Georgetown University coat. Oh, maybe. Is there a religious affiliation with the university? Maybe. Might have to clarify. I just wasn't sure what he was doing there. Yeah. But, well, but he walks away. He he, he listens does. to her and then he fucks off. And then as he's walking away, the camera is really close to him and it's and she's shouting, if you want to affect any change, you need to do it with independence. So I didn't know if that was meant to be like poignant I wasn't sure. It's not poignant to me. Well, then it must not be yeah, so. Yeah, <laughs> and I've, I've got a good radar for those things. Didn't pass the uh, Jenna's check, so there you go. Um, yeah, but I was like, is this guy an extra in this movie? I don't understand why he's there. Why is he laughing at this interaction that has to do with an actor and the director? Everyone else is clearly in the movie. <laughs> and Father Karras is just there for no reason. <laughs> and he's like giddy happy. Mm-mm. It was so strange. Happiest he is in the entire movie. Well, yeah. Well, no kidding. It's a bit of a slog he's for Father than when, Happier than when his he's dressing his mom's wound on her leg. Yeah, he's weird this Happy, guy. Happier than when she dies and he gets scolded by his uncle. Poor bastard can't even take any pleasure in his own life. No. I really like when Reagan and her mom are chatting and joking because I feel like it seems pretty legit. Yes. Like, uh, even when they're with the Ouija board and she says, like, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Howdy, is my mom pretty? And she kind of, like, chucks her on the arm, I think, like Chris does to Reagan. I think it's actually pretty cute. Me too. And interestingly, too, I I think is that as she's walking home, she sees Father Karras and he's kind of, like, intensely speaking to another person. Yeah, but a weird score thing happens there, too. Like, it gets really loud, ambient noise when she's looking. And then when it cuts scenes, it cuts out. And it's like traffic sound or something. Yeah, but it gets really loud. Again, I think they're they're doing a lot of work with only a little bit of scene. You know what I mean? That she picks up on the fact that obviously mm-hmm. Karis is a really intense guy. And she actually mentions that, I think, to Father Dyer pretty soon yeah. after that. Yes. So she appreciates something about Father Karis just having seen him across the courtyard. And 
and when we're first meeting Reagan too, she's like super sweet. She is very sweet. Super innocent and asking like, about a horse. Yes, exactly. Talking about a horse, she seems very much like a little kid. I think well acted. She seems because yeah. I, I imagine as a kid actor, it would be very hard to not be super awkward on screen, I have to think. Yeah, I agree, and I think she does a great job, clearly. I've certainly seen a lot of people's take that it's a bit of a parallel to like like puberty puberty. makes you fucking crazy exactly i know i've seen that too i don't i don't know if i like it i also i also have heard a theory or like a way to perceive the movie as implying that single mothers that the children are at risk because she's a single mother wow kind of thing maybe from I guess maybe that could be a Catholic perspective too. That like the whole the whole family unit is not together, and so the child was more at risk or something like that. Maybe not Catholic specifically. Maybe more like conservative fundamentalist right. type thing. And it was a long time ago. It too, was a long right? time ago, indeed. That that just wouldn't have been the cultural norm that you would have had a you know wealthy, successful single mom with true. her daughter. That's true. And I mean, she does do some interesting things like the the big party and all that stuff. And it seems like she's out a lot, things yeah. like that. But they don't, in my opinion, they don't frame it in any kind of dubious way. Not to They have me a great relationship, all, all that kind of thing. Yeah, seems like a good mom to me. Exactly. We actually discussed that, I remember, when we were watching it the first time, talking about how Chris seems to, to be a good mom. And one good mom move that she pulled is when she is talking to... When Reagan comments that she should invite the director to the party, Burke, she says, would you marry him? And Chris says something like, you know, I love your daddy. And I think that that's very big of a single parent from a broken relationship to do that. That's a good point. And I mean, certainly something that we've seen not in, easy our, to do. in our own work that's not easy to do at any age, right? No. Oh, gosh. No. Reagan and her mom get into kind of a wrestling match and they're being super silly and all that stuff. And then we get a super hard cut to a train. And mm. that's when Father Karras is down in the subway. And that's when he has that interaction with the homeless man. And he's like, Father, can you help me? I'm a Catholic. <laughs> and he just kind of stares at him and walks off. So then I think, again, they're really solidifying the whole crisis of faith that Father yes. Karras is supposed to be yeah, having. Yeah, and then he's in the bar and he goes, I can't, I, I'm unfit. We get introduced to his poor, poor mother. Yeah. And then right there, they come in the door mm-hmm. and all those pictures of him as a boxer and yes. he's got all the trophies on the wall. And so you're like, they get across that detail really well. And then he boxes later, boxes out his frustrations over his mother. Oh, I forgot he, about that. He very briefly boxes. Yes, that's right. And he also, I was thinking about when he was running track and he first gets like scoped out by that creepy detective. Yeah, the, just wants to take him to the movies. Just poor lonely detective. <laughs> to see Othello at the movies with... Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, because we, in a separate conversation, we're talking about a movie with Debbie Reynolds in it. Halloween, Halloween Town. Town <laughs> which is terrible. Bad movie. Yeah. But also, Debbie Reynolds is Carrie Fisher's mom. Yep, and she is Billy Lord's mom. So, Whose mom is Billy Lord? We're Lord's? appealing to the Zoomers out there. She is a young actress. She was actress. in Singing in she the Rain. Was, she was in... Oh, Debbie Reynolds was. Yes. yes. That's not appealing to the Zoomers. <laughs> why, why did Debbie Reynolds come up? Oh, because. <laughs> okay. So, well, we should. We were talking about Father Karras. We He's kind of skipped ahead to when the detective comes in. Okay. Okay. Because they wanted to see a movie. 
she's she could tell that he's bothered by something too so you know mother always knows yeah she picks up on that and again it's like okay this guy's got a lot on his mind but we're gonna very quickly explain that by just having his mom ask about him and that was so smart i wonder what the wound is on her leg that he's dressing Uh, as a nurse i wonder because it's on her calf it's not like her foot or anything so she didn't like i don't know could be a diabetic wound or something like that right because like generally speaking it sounds like her health is ailing yes and then she's got this wound on her leg that her son comes to and her son kind of says like father Karras kind of says the doctor said to stay off it right it's not like a broken leg or anything like that let me speaking as a nurse (laughs) not a broken leg i don't think not a fracture according to the nurse okay yeah, but I just thought this was another scene where they really get a l- uh, across a lot of ideas very, very quickly because they don't spend much time on Father Karras' backstory or anything like that. But we know a lot. We know that he takes care of his mom, that he feels guilty for leaving her in New York. Yeah, and then like you were saying, back to Reagan's house with the Ouija board. So the Ouija board was just kind of like out of nowhere, I found. I think it kind of made sense because they're living in a house that's not their own. So, Ooh. right? Because they're she's filming a movie there. Right. So she says, I found it in the closet. That makes sense. Okay. So it's like an old, the equivalent of an old board game in there. I guess it is a board game. Yeah. And that's when Reagan introduces the idea of Mr. Howdy. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And mom, mom doesn't notice the fact that the thing just jumps on its own. Like that, that was, yeah, one she of was the, like, really it was don't pretty want, dramatic. Yeah. She's like, Reagan, stop goofing around. And it was like that literally just jumped across. Well, the whole Reagan board. didn't seem too perturbed by it either. No, but Reagan was just like, yeah, this thing works. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? She's like, a real I, deal. I talked to some guy. He moves it around for me. So there you go. Like they were on not the same wavelength there. And before that, do you remember that she had been making a clay bird? She and had it. And then painting it as, you know, kids do. Yeah, probably. She's, actually, it's kind of cute. They paint her as somewhat of, a, of an artiste. She has yeah. a lot of little crafts around. Yeah, I found the same thing, which uh, I, I love a kid who's crafty. Yeah. That's always she fun made, to see, She made right? just like a goofy, giant orange burn bird. Yeah. At one point, she has like a bird dog. It's like a dog with giant wings. <laughs> At least that's the way it looks to me. And then she's tucking her in, and, and Chris, the mom, is on the cover of a tabloid. Mm. Um, which again, like, I think it's just getting across. She's clearly like an it person. She's famous. She's very famous. Yes, exactly. <laughs> They're planning out her birthday. They're going to go sightseeing. And she's like, oh, I love you, mom. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's very, very like cloyingly kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it is. She, Reagan is that way right? at first. So she's just like so, so sweet. That's where I think maybe there's a bit of an angle with the whole puberty thing. And not hmm. to say you go crazy when you hit puberty. But she's but, so sweet. Before. Yeah. And it's like a, a trying, difficult or sometimes scary time, especially for the parent. When yeah. it's like my kid was like this and now they're like that. Little kid is getting kind of taken away from them a little bit. And that's when, like you said, she was bringing up Mr. Dennings. Oh, are you going to marry him? Which mm-hmm. I thought, again, a very childlike, simplistic way of looking yeah, at that. You, she, you like him? You're going to marry him? Yeah, you're going to marry him, right? I'm pretty sure she did make that leap from saying you like him. Yeah. Are you going to marry him? Yeah. yeah, exactly. She's like, oh, you like well, you like him, don't you? Then aren't you going to marry him? Mm-hmm. Right? So we get it. This kid is very innocent, maybe kind of sheltered, that sort of thing. And then I was interested because... 
Chris appears to get woken up in the middle of the night by a phone call where they're like telling her they need to shoot. They need to go yes, shoot and, a scene, right? Yep. And then and then Reagan is in her bed and she asks why, and she says the bed was shaking so she couldn't sleep. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, your bed was shaking. I'll, I'll have the old man look at it in the morning." It's probably the rats. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're underneath it. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of explaining away going on. I would say because Reagan's twelve. Yeah, she's, she's not, not like four kid. years old. Yeah, that's when things start to really kick off. I think like all up to that point, all we've had are the li- like little scritchy scratchies of what she thinks is a rat. Scritchy scratches don't scare me. No, God, like that's I ain't scared play. of no rats. I would be scared of of a rat. I would be scared of. Do you know? It'd be even scarier than a rat is rats. Several rats. Well, if there's if there's one, there's more. That's what I've been told about rats. Mm. But the idea of having rats in my house, that would be a very scary thought. Yeah. It grossed me right you out. You ever seen one in person? Um, Probably from a distance. I I saw one skitter across mom and dad's backyard, bound across it <laughs> one yeah. winter. I saw one in dad's garage, mm-hmm. and I turned on the light, and yeah. it was way at the other end, and it stopped because it was climbing uh, the wall, yeah, and it looked uh, at me, and I looked at and him. And I looked at him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I just left and they got an exterminator. But it was like very creepy to be in Congress with a rat. Yeah. It was like a, a creepy feeling. I think something about a I assume they're full of disease. Yeah. They're dark and creepy looking and they're fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think like even a mouse. I don't like how fast they move. And you know what? It's a wild animal. Moving right along. <laughs> okay. That's but that's when we kind of cross right over to some of the more dramatic stuff happening. So we see that random old priest and he's bringing flowers in to lay in the church. And Oh, yeah. And then he sees the mother the the statue of Mother Mary that's been like quite badly Defaced. desecrated, I would and, say. Whoa, okay, are we to believe that Reagan under the influence of the possession went and did that or that it just happened spontaneously? I think that it sprung out. It sprung out of there because of the demon's influence. Yeah, so like and the, when, the guy when did there's not a have demon, much of a reaction. He just went, oh. Like, when did there's he even a, make a demon sound? in your town, yeah. there's a good chance that statues will start growing spikes out mm. of their Phallic breasts spikes. and genitals. Yeah. And that's like, a, I guess, your first clue, according to this movie, that there might be someone possessed in your town. Yeah. If you're not in the house, that's your first clue. If you don't hear rats. Right. You look around for (laughs) breasts and penises that weren't there before. But the detective, to be fair to him, he does go right there and connect the two. Yep. Right? So, Karis's weird uncle, then all of a sudden, like, this is one thing about how many scenes... Oh, his uncle's, like, mean to him. And he just seems like a weird guy. Yeah. Like, there, it was a bit of a choice casting that guy. <laughs> but one of the things about how much work this movie's doing to tell more than one story at once... Yeah, they really ...is there do. some, like, breakneck scenes and, and stuff. So, like, all of a sudden, Karis's mom is, like, in an insane asylum. <laughs> that yeah, is what oh, I understood that place... And there's some place, scary imagery there. And that is what I understood that place to be. Is that the way you saw it, too? She was among a whole bunch of people, and they weren't all old. No, and they they didn't seem to be physically having problems. They were all moving around. They were all moving around. Well, or like some of them look kind of catatonic, completely yes. still. 
Yes, so I have a note about that too. So they're either talking to themselves or crying or they're catatonic. Yeah. So there were like three options amongst the crowd. And when Karis goes in there, they like flock to him like zombies. Like Yeah, they they do act in a zombie like way there. It, it was really interesting. Like and I, I don't tell know you, that does not happen when you walk on to a psych unit. <laughs> right. But like I didn't know if that was kind of a poor representation of a facility like that. I don't know what they were like necessarily in nineteen in the nineteen seventies, but I know that they had come a long way from where they were in like the nineteen fifties. I think it's probably both in that that's kind of yeah, kind of the way it was in that they weren't receiving maybe as effective treatment, so maybe they were sicker or not managed as well as they would be now, and also a poor representation to make it extra scary. I think it's yeah, maybe a combination of both. It was a chance to make something scary. But oh, it's definitely. Like, it's like, okay, his mom's at home. Oh, she's so independent and she doesn't want to give it up. She's in an insane asylum. And then, like, it was just such a 180 so quick. And then she dies. Like, off screen. Yeah. Right? And so, well, I guess it probably wasn't a very dramatic death. But, but yeah, I was very interested by the scenes that took place in this kind of medical area. Hmm. His weird uncle suggests that he should be on Park Avenue as a famous psychiatrist, <laughs> which I thought was interesting because other than Sigmund Freud, I don't know how many famous psychiatrists anyone could name. Gabor Mate. Is he a psychiatrist? And super, super famous. Yeah. Like, so you know we, who I'm talking about? No, I don't. Oh, well. Should I be embarrassed? You live under a rock? Should yeah. I be embarrassed? Yeah. But I was like, that's an interesting take from the uncle. He should be a famous psychiatrist. And he suggests basically like, well, you're a psychiatrist. You should be able to put her somewhere. But mm. basically, he's he's a psychiatrist, but he makes a priest's wage. So that was interesting, which takes us to the party scene, which is like... Party! Pretty, party central. Pretty iconic scene, I think, as far as this movie goes. Have you noticed how friggin' wild Chris's outfit is? It's like she's wearing this like glittery, it's like all glitter blue, right? And it's in her house. And at one point, she's <laughs> she's eating soup. What kind of a party food is that? <laughs> you don't eat a bowl of soup. Well, how and the other side lives. That's eh? when she's talking. Yeah, bro, we're so rich. You're eating soup at a party, showing off. And that's when. Okay, I'm not a big fan of her director love interest. No, I think and we've established that he's weird. He goofy seems like a slob and, and he is yeah, he's viciously interrogating <laughs> a party guest about being a Nazi. One of the help, which I think is actually even worse. I thought it was a guest. No, it's the it's the guy with the glasses who works there. No. Yes. Are you kidding me? But he, he's in like a tuxedo. He, he goes into the because he's a fancy butler. He goes into the kitchen and this poor guy is trying to do his job. Oh my and God. he says, you are a Nazi. <laughs> And then they have to escort him out. And I don't understand this romance. He looks like he's trying to be like a chimney sweep in a Mary Poppins movie. Like he's got yeah. a very strange, funny, weird vibe. Yeah. I wouldn't have pegged him for a love one. interest no. of anyone. No, Chris, you can do better. So that was an interesting choice. But maybe there's Chuck a little him out bit the of window. projection. That's when the party priest is singing to everyone. Yeah. Um, so he's doing... <laughs> <laughs> So party priest. He, party priest, yeah. And he says that heaven for him would be playing piano at a piano bar and everybody loves him. Everybody loves me. And that's when I thought, like I told you earlier, 
if that was his dream, he certainly went off piste. He said that's his heaven. So exactly. if he thinks that, if he truly thinks that's what heaven's like, he's just in oh, the right then profession. Then he's earning it. Exactly. <laughs> he just knows that that's how he gets there. Off piste is an expression that John used earlier, um, which is a great idiom that we both like. And I like it because I used to fence semi-professionally. Varsity. Yeah, varsity. That's uh, how I got into clubs and stuff. <laughs> yeah, free drinks I, and right to the front and of the I, line. And I had, you know, my, my pretty little girlfriends and I just put my varsity jacket over, <laughs> draped it gently over their shoulders. And yeah. everyone would swoon. And you were a big snob douche. Because because <laughs> your position on the fencing team. How dare you, a snob douche! I was no good at it, folks. <laughs> well, you were until you took a fencing sword to the knee. Oh yeah, career-ending injury. Until I took a foil to the knee. Exactly, a foil. Oh, look at her. There yeah, that's right, guys. I did foil. <laughs> <laughs> the fancy one. Fuck you, Epe. Fuck you, saber. <laughs> foil is about precision. For all you fencers out there, you know what I'm talking about. Well, not for those fucking knuckle-dragging saber fighters. Yeah. They're the worst. I hope we didn't just alienate a bunch of listeners. Oh, no. Not all of our saber <laughs> fencers. Yeah, maybe we're big with the fencing demographic. I don't know. We don't know what our demographic is yet, but I think there's going to be some fencers, statistically. Well, I think like there's a stat like you're never more than eight feet away from a fencer. Yeah, I think that I think that's what it is. And you eat like three every every year in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the first scene where we see Reagan do some really crazy shit. Like she comes down, she says, "You're all gonna die no, up there." No, she says, "You are gonna die up there," and she's looking at just one guy. Oh. And that made me think. I was like, "Is he the guy who died later?" But he's not. It could be. Well, but he's not. Burke's gone. Burke's gone by that point. So none of the party she guests. She says, you're going to die up there. None of the party guests die then. No, and then she pees. And everyone got very quiet. Uncomfortable. But I guess you would. Because 100%. Not, yeah. 100%. I felt like, and, you know, maybe is a little bit dramatic, but that is probably the way that you would respond to it, more or less. And that is an old kid to come down and pee on the carpet. 100% in the middle of a party. Like, it's basically... She might as well have been sleepwalking for her behavior. Yes, it was very true. weird. And she yeah. seemed very vacant, right? Yes. So, that, I mean, if I was a mom, I probably would have said something along those lines. And she said she was sick. She's like, yeah, oh, she's, yeah, been, she's sick, been sick. Which is like, that's a good move, yeah. for sure. And then... She's giving her a bath, and she's still in her glitzy glam outfit. And that's another thing. Do you give a twelve-year-old a sponge, a sponge bath? bath? Maybe she's maybe still after something up like that, you just yeah. do assume she's sick. Yeah, and she was still vacant in the bath. She was vaping in the bath. She yeah. She's this pretty, movie was ahead of its time. She's pretty cool, so she oh was my vaping. Gosh, she's so cool. But I agree. Like other than that, if she's not really sick, probably shouldn't be giving your twelve-year-old daughter a sponge bath. But no. you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. Just I happen to work in mental no. health. That's what I think. Another way that you could look at the themes of this movie is that it's kind of old world versus new world. because Totally. Because Chris is like, just take your pills. That's all it is. And the first thing that she does when Reagan is having problems is obviously to go to the to the doctor. So she's clearly got kind of a Western medicine frame of mind, which I really do too. I'm And not, not to say that pills is all, what it's all about, but... That definitely seems to be where Chris is coming from. And then... Yeah. And interestingly yeah. enough, when we were thinking about talking about this movie and, like we said, kind of focusing at least somewhat on 
how mental health is represented and and what some of the elements of mental health are in the movie i was expecting like there'd be a whole bunch of stuff that just wasn't right or because wasn't represented time. well mm-hmm. but i i would say i think that actually the movie does a pretty good job in my opinion mm-hmm. um there are some things like one of the doctors so they do run a battery of tests which seem terrible and invasive and awful but one of the doctors yes. says you know any psychiatrist would tell you to look into the medical side of things to make sure that there's not a problem here mm-hmm. before you you know look into the psychiatric side and I would agree that that's sound advice. Not to say, like, you know, if you're anxious, you shouldn't go see a therapist or something like that. But I have had it happen quite a few times in my own practice where a kid would be having some belly issues or feeling sick a lot or stomach aches, something like that. And the people around them were attributing it to anxiety. And it turned out to be an actual medical problem. Mm-hmm. There was an issue with their stomach. They had celiac disease, like, just in my own practice, I've had that happen quite a few times. And so I think it does make a lot of sense that if she were having really severe or problems that were really persistent, that they would look into every medical explanation as well, or maybe first. And not only that, she had a quick, drastic change in behavior. And that is not the typical presentation of mental illness. It's not the most typical presentation of a severe mental illness like a psychotic disorder or like severe mood disorder. There would be signs ahead of time. There would be a prodromal phase, it's called. And so the first things that you would look into if a kid came in Mm -hmm. having what she's having, Mm -hmm. you would check to see if there was something else going on. Like if there was some kind of infection or some kind of brain damage or anything like that, you definitely would look into that. The party as well. I think it's Father Dyer mentions like, oh, Father Karras' mom is dead. So it's like literally yes. like two scenes later, they're like, ah, she died. And I can't believe all that happens before the party because I feel like the party is right. one of the first things. I know. And so it's like, and what did she die of? Like, I, I guess she was old. Uh, maybe she was senile. Maybe she had dementia. But they're just like, ah, she is dead. And they were just introducing the fact that she was in this place she didn't want to be. She died and- of having a, a bad son, Itis. I know it was the worst case they've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a terminal case. This is a scene that I was talking to Jenna about before we started. Cause then Karis ends up in his dorm essentially. And he's there and, and father Dyer's there. He jokes about having stolen this fancy bottle of whiskey from the party. And basically Karis is having a hard time and, and he knows it. And so father Dyer, like, tucks him into bed he literally lifts his legs and swings him into bed and then takes off his shoes and he leaves very nice yeah he seems like he's a very nice guy what a nice guy and as that shows later too he does something very very nice at the very end of the movie yes and i will say at one point in the movie too when actually when chris first meets father karis she's talking to him and i don't know what pretense they met under when she's meeting Father Karras for the first time, he doesn't know that she's looking to have an exorcism. He doesn't even know that she has a daughter. And she's like, well, didn't Father Dyer tell you anything about what happened at the party? And he said, well, he told me he went to the party, but mm. he didn't tell mm-hmm. me anything like that. And I was like, I thought that that was pretty, a pretty good thing for Father Dyer to That's have done. Like, too. he didn't bother telling 
father Karras that like there was this awkward <laughs> yeah. moment where this 12 year old girl came down and peed on the floor and told me that I was going to die. You know, like I think most people probably would have been like, and by the way, probably would have been that party I was at. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Probably would have been the most interesting, noteworthy thing to happen. Yeah. Like of his whole week. Yeah. So anyway, he gets put to bed very nicely by his friend. And then he has his dream, and the dream's interesting because it's like his necklace. Is there a name for that? Rose. The necklace that you've gotten, it had a picture of like Mother Mary. Did you get it for being baptized? My husband has one like that, but I don't think it has a special name. He's oh, okay. got like a chain with a crucifix on it and a Certifico de Baptissimo is maybe what it says on it. Maybe it's his Certifico de Baptissimo. Yeah. And it's falling, and then he sees his mom in New York, and he like can't get to New her. New York. Yeah, exactly. and then the flash of the scary face. Yes, is that when we see Pazuzu for the first time? I like think the face? so. Yeah, intercut with his mom. And so I think it's pretty. I mean, I'm not a dream. You know, you're I, not I, a dream doctor. I'm not a dream doctor, and I don't actually believe that there's too much to be discerned from dreams in terms of like deep meaning. It's a pretty easy scene to unpack. Where, in my opinion, where okay, his necklace that signifies his baptism is falling. He's losing his faith. Mm-hmm. And he can't get to his mom. Like, that's a pretty clear message, in my opinion. He wants to bang his mom. Freud. Freud. Thank you, Sigmund Freud. Exactly. He's a dream doctor. A dreamy doctor? Yeah, I think Freud's hot. (laughs) Well, I hate to tell you this live because you might need time to process it, but he is dead. Well, I wish someone had told me sooner. (laughs) Another famous psychiatrist dead. Before their time. Yeah, one of the good ones. Come Only on. the good die young. I don't even know how old he was. He, he, Probably old. He was very white haired. But he used a lot of coke and stuff. You think he dyed his hair white with cocaine? <laughs> oh, no, I'm saying that maybe it shortened his life. I was oh. talking about my own thing. And then we get a hard cut to Reagan, who's. Oh, and by the way, by this point, we've seen the first bed shaking scene where mm-hmm. Chris like dives on her. Oh, and so yeah. that's where she's like trying to explain to these doctors. It's like, I don't think no, you but understand. I was on the bed. Yeah. <laughs> like the bed was jumping in the air and I was laying on top of my daughter. Do you think that it's an era in time thing? The fact that Reagan calls her mother. Cause mother. no one, yeah, mother, mother. Cause no one calls their mom anymore. mother. No, no exactly. but do you think in the seventies or do you think it was weird even then? I, maybe it played. So, I would say probably a lot more common at the time, but then also maybe it's supposed to again play into the like this is a very sweet innocent little child. Yeah, maybe because I agree it's it's proper little uncommon, especially maybe for a twelve year old. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Who should be doing it? Like, I don't know, someone who's seventy years old to their mother. (laughs) Well, if you're seventy years years old (laughs) speaking to your mother, you are a lucky person. Right after that, we have. Chris speaking to the doctor, who, of course, lights a cigarette in the hallway and mm-hmm. speaks to her. He says that it's probably a symptom of a disturbance of chemical electrical activity in the frontal lobe, mm. which he then goes on to say is probably from a lesion that's leading to seizures. So, I mean, that seems a- like any- a very strange thing that you would ever say. It's probably this. True. Yeah. Before you I- had any proof. Well, yeah, and I mean, just a weird way to say it in general. Like, so you're saying that she's got some kind of lesion in her frontal lobe. Like, why? From what? Right. Did she have a stroke? Did she have, like, an infection? Like, why would there be a lesion on a 12-year-old's frontal lobe? Like, you wouldn't just say that. 
don't and know. then he assures her he's like well i mean it's no big deal if that's what it is we'll cut it out it's like oh, jesus <laughs> it's like well that's probably a pretty significant surgery that could have a lot of i would think so risk factors associated with it but it's nice that he's trying to be encouraging one thing that i think is interesting here too is that Chris says something along the lines of, I just find it hard to believe that her whole personality would change. And I think that it's supposed to kind of contribute to the idea that it's more than a medical problem, that it is more likely to be a spiritual problem because the personality changed, but not at all. It's so interesting that brain injuries can change a person's personality really, really drastically. And I think that's something that a lot of people in the general kind of population don't really realize is that what you associate with being yourself and what your personality is and, and how you have developed that you think that it's this thing that is it's central to who you are and that it's almost like, I don't want to not inert. What word am I looking for? Innate. Mm, And inalienable too. Yes. But it's, it can change. You get a brain injury, something like that. It can change. That sounds pretty doom and gloom. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that it is actually not strange to think that a lesion in someone's brain could make their personality change in a really drastic way that would startle their parents. That is not unheard of at all. Very possible. Yeah. And I was thinking about that when I was watching it, too. And we saw we saw Chris basically say, I don't know who that is in there. That's not my daughter and all this stuff. But Mm. like, unfortunately, we've also seen that happen firsthand Mm -hmm. and not necessarily because of a brain lesion, but even, you know, a significant onset of a mental illness or a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. And we'll have family members who are telling us that they don't recognize their kid or or their brother or whoever it is. And unfortunately, it's something that really can happen, especially with a really quickly onsetting or or severely onsetting mental illness right Mm -hmm. and i've seen it be really interesting as well when the sufferers of acute phases of their mental illness so someone with a psychotic disorder in particular they still remember everything that happened even when they were making choices that they would never make in their in their typical life but when you're really acutely ill you're not acting at all like yourself because your brain isn't working just like When if you break your leg and try to walk on it, you're going to walk funny because your leg's not working. It's your brain is not working the way it typically does. So you couldn't possibly expect your behavior to be similar. And we've had people who come out of that phase when they have had some treatment and they're starting to recover and they'll come to me or the other nurses or doctors on the unit and say something like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I did X, Y, or Z. And we want to say, well, and we do, we know that that wasn't you we know that wasn't your intention you remember you were still present but you kind of weren't driving <laughs> like something else was That's going a on very scary thought eh? it it is and most people don't experience it and it's so scary for the patients and they feel so bad because they're good people but they were acting in ways that weren't you know socially appropriate because they couldn't they get some nice clean pictures of her brain which looks great yeah and did you look at all at, at the procedure that they used to do that are you talking about the one with the needle in the neck? And the spurting. A lot of people who watched it at the time said that that was the most unsettling scene in the whole thing. Wow. And I was like, why the heck are they doing that? And I couldn't really figure out what it was. But I think maybe it's just that wouldn't be done because I think they were just getting MRIs. Maybe it's a 70s MRI thing. 
Well, what they were doing okay. was draining the central spinal fluid. Cerebrospinal fluid. Cerebrospinal fluid. What they were doing was draining the cerebrospinal fluid from around her brain. In order so that to they put can the dye in? Oh, okay. From the from the X ray, it basically is, and like it's it is something that they don't do anymore, and you could you get like awful headaches yeah. and all this terrible stuff because it, it takes like a day to replenish, so yes. it would be a really terrible um, procedure. And then from there we get what the doctors do a house call. Which yes, is when multiple we, doctors doing a house call. Pretty good service. Is, yeah, no kidding. Which is when we first see like the full possession. So she, when we see her completely possessed, and her and face she, is all fucked up, right? Is it then? I think she still looks pretty healthy okay, at that okay. point. But she smacks the doctors around. They jump on her. They sedate her. They say she should sleep through the next day because she's heavily sedated. <laughs> and one doctor brings out the old chestnut of like, well. In certain states, you can you can become much stronger. Hmm. Uh, and he uses the example of like the woman lifting hmm. her car off of her baby, which I thought it's like, okay, for sure. We've heard that one plenty of times. Chris starts screaming about that's not my daughter. She must have a split personality, oh. which is a pretty big buzzword. Yeah. Um, and then the doctor says there have been less than 100 true cases of split personality disorder which would now be called the approximation of it would be dissociative identity disorder right and it's not what i don't know it's not what the movies the movies love to to use that one because it's 100%. a really it's a really fun narrative device yes. to be like oh yeah you could be two different people but it's not like that but I want to say that as they were jogging up the stairs, they mentioned two medications. One was Ritalin. One was Ritalin, and the other one was Thorazine. And Thorazine, under that brand name, is not—I'm pretty sure—is not used anymore. But Chlorpromazine is what the um, generic name is, and it is still used. What is it? It is an old antipsychotic medication, and it's really sedating. And mm. so we use it more for that. To kind of keep people calm. Like in more severe cases where people are really, really agitated. Yeah. I saw it's often a safety thing. Yeah. So it's almost, is it like... It's not used a whole lot. Would it be somewhat like a chemical restraint? Could could be used that way, yes. That would make sense. But there's mo- pretty much every medication that is a chemical restraint, I would argue all of them, they're not just that. Yeah, like right. Like Haldol, Ativan. Right. They're also used for other things. Yes, yeah, right. Okay. Wise. And Ritalin, I mean, I'm sure most people are pretty familiar with yeah, Ritalin. But, but why do they think it's going to help Reagan, though? Well, people with ADHD act impulsively. Yeah, well, <laughs> yep. Master- maybe maybe yeah. her impulse is to call nurses stupid bastards. Masturbate with crosses. Well, that hasn't fixes. happened yet, to be fair to these doctors. No. Well, maybe if she'd been on the Ritalin, it wouldn't have happened at all. Yeah, exactly. I, I know. It's like, A, get the crucifix out of her room. B, the Ritalin should take care of that masturbating problem. <laughs> the doctor gets her into this room, and it's like dark and everything, and he's asking her how long she'll be in Georgetown and everything because he says, I think it's time to contact a psychiatrist. And he says it like <laughs> it's a death sentence. Uh-oh. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe this is one of those doctors who's not a big fan of psych. Or maybe it's something to do with psychiatry wasn't perceived quite as well at the time. But mm. he makes it seem like a terrible blow to the family that mm. it's time to reach out to the psychiatrist. So poor Father Karras on that one, I think. 
and it's one of the first times that we see it's really cold in the room. So I was thinking like Pazuzu likes to sleep the same way I do. Right. Which is to Windows see my breath. Winter time. Yep, yeah. Which is to see my breath because then it just makes my blankets feel even cozier and warmer. And I'm sure that's why Pazuzu also likes the window open for the same reason. Well, it, make, it makes his uh, skin sack of Reagan feel even comfier and cozier in the cold room. Very well put. Yeah. Yes, skin sack. Well. Little girl's skin <laughs> sack. Poor Reagan. This is when she comes home then after that and no one's there. The window is open. It's freezing in there. Mm. She's super furious with her nanny who says, well, I left your weird drunk boyfriend Burke up there with her in her room. Like, I mean, get off my back. Again, Burke, like, wouldn't be me. Why did he go up to her room? I don't know. Wouldn't be me leaving Burke in there. Well, and then later Chris says he would have no reason to go in there. True. Well, you know what? I mean, maybe maybe the nanny says, well, Burke was here. Burke was here, I think. Maybe that's it. Yeah. But either way, I mean, Burke, he seems like just a weird guy to me. Burke Dennings. Yeah, good riddance. Throw him, I'd throw him out a window, too. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's what happens. Someone comes to the door to say Burke is dead. And he, they found him at the bottom of those steps. And that's also off screen. Yes. No, we don't see it. I think because it's a bit of a mystery for a while oh, why they, he died. Maybe they couldn't achieve what they wanted with the, uh, his head was turned all the way around. Not without throwing a real man out the window with a backwards head. That's too expensive. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. So Burke is dead. Basically, Chris's life is falling apart. And then the next scene, we see her being hypnotized, which I thought was a interesting first entry to trying to treat her psychiatric needs. I'm like, okay, going right to some hypnotizing now. The hypnotist is a weird man with a stupid, giant, fat clown tie that's enormous. <laughs> it was the 70s. It's like eight inches wide. <laughs> and he says- The bigger the tie, the bigger the brain. This, the bigger the man. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Man? I'm sorry. The bigger the tie, the closer to God. Yeah. I always mess up that saying, my mistake. He says- in what I think is like a pretty interesting trick. He says, whoever I'm talking to who's inside of Reagan, if you are in there, you too are hypnotized and must answer all my questions. Yes. Well, (laughs) you've been hypnotized. (laughs) And it's like, gotcha. In answer to that, Reagan grabs his nuts and squeezes them like crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. (laughs) And he's basically like, help me to the other people in the room. (laughs) So that's him told. (laughs) Help! <laughs> Shows what my she, balls. <laughs> yeah, no, my my testicles. How am I supposed to hypnotize? <laughs> yeah, it's career-ending injury. I bet. He says, probably throws his voice off. Right. So again, okay, there's that crazy scene. Next scene, Father Karras doing laps in his gray tracksuit while he's being scoped out by this very creepy yeah, detective. That, that's a little female gaze um, <laughs> sex appeal for the Oh, ladies. they had to get him in the gray tracksuit. That's right. It's a scene that I think we, again, we've seen many times. Maybe not a thousand times before The Exorcist, but like you picture there's some guy in the bleachers. He's like reading a newspaper but he's the only one there and he's scoping out someone who's exercising like for some reason i feel like it's a dramatic scene that i've seen play out a number of times and then this is when the detective tells karis that burke's head was twisted all the way around right which was pretty interesting he's asking him about witchcraft and he makes the connection that the desecrator 
of the church with the spike boobs mm-hmm. and the guy who killed Burke are probably the same person, which I was like, wow, this guy is good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's very good. And I think he's kind of implying for a while that Karis might be at the center of it. I think so. Because he asked him if he knows about witchcraft. He says he does because he wrote a paper on it. And he says, yeah, maybe the desecrator was doing witchcraft. And yeah, it would make sense that someone would turn someone's head all the way around. So he kind of looks at him as maybe the center of it. And then he also says, oh, well, you know, would you know anyone like that? Like, basically, you know, the mentally ill people because you're working as a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, but doctor patient privilege, you couldn't tell me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, if there was someone that I thought was committing black magic murders against people, I would have to tell somebody. Sorry, it doesn't matter if they're my patient or not. Yep, there's actually legislation for like healthcare professionals with with a woman's name attached, you know, like the whatever law. Oh, really? Yes. If you are told in the process of your care that someone has a specific plan to hurt a specific person, yes. you need to be assured that that person has been notified. And certainly that's the case for me as a counselor. Like yeah. and we have to be really explicit with the people we work with, right? Mm-hmm. That Basically, there are limits to confidentiality. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's what a lot of people really appreciate about counseling is the fact that it is confidential. And if someone I was working with saw me out and about in the community, I wouldn't identify myself mm-hmm. to them, that sort of thing. And everything's kept between us. But there are limits to that where if there's a plan for someone to be hurt, even mm-hmm. if it's yourself, that if the risk is imminent and it would be significantly dangerous and we have to tell people so certainly if we were aware that there was someone who was capable of murder mm-hmm. we're not keeping that to ourselves. and i'm not a doctor but they'd be under yep. the same rules that we are yeah or and right. like a duty to report to children's aid that kind of thing those type of things exactly cut to chris in a room with literally 12 doctors and lab coats <laughs> yeah that would never happen <laughs> Sitting I guess around she's, a round but maybe table in the states though she's very rich she's so very maybe famous. it's a united states thing that she would be able to get that many experts in a room for maybe what, right million dollars. But, Tell you that would never happen here. No, exactly. Well, and it also is not necessary. True, especially it's, because it's the, overkill. Especially because <laughs> the idea they come up with is let's try an exercise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she, in kind, as Chris does, she's screaming at them, and I get that she's probably stressed out, mm-hmm. but also like I would imagine they're all doing it's their that best to help. Thespian energy. <laughs> yes she it was she was going for the oscar yeah that's what it was the guy kind of condescendingly to the church suggests exorcism as a form of shock treatment that like it's not working for the reason the catholics think it's working it's working because the person who's susceptible enough to think that they're possessed is also susceptible enough to think that this is the cure that sounds like placebo not y- shock yeah uh, yeah exactly yeah. although i mean I guess they're thinking maybe almost along the lines of flooding where it's this crazy event you go through mm. and it's enough for you. to. <laughs> Her whole life is full of those kind of events right now. A lot of people do ask to see priests or read a Bible or this or that. Makes sense. And I mean, it can go either way, right? It can be a really great source of strength and comfort for these people, or it can also become a bit of an unhealthy fixation yeah. for the mentally, for the person who's mentally ill or or really sick at the time right and and it becomes quite difficult sometimes to suss out what you would identify as a delusion and not exactly like that you pray and god hears you for example that is a typical belief that i wouldn't say is a delusional belief right right but if you say i was praying 
and ah. God heard God heard me say X Y Z, or He spoke to me directly. That would be that, anything, but that right? would be a hallucination. I was trying to think of something that would be a delusion. Oh, so I spoke to God, I prayed to Him, and now this is happening. No. So they return home. She finds the crucifix under her pillow, which was interesting. Oh, accuses the it, yeah. accuses Again, the servants. Yes, of goes around it there. berating her staff. And they're like, "No, I didn't put that there." The detective, again, who is a crack detective, finds a clay animal at the base of the stairs. And is like, that's a Reagan original. He never met Reagan before. Yeah. But he's like, then he looks up at the house and he's like, maybe. Yeah. Just maybe. When he picked that up, I thought it was the thing from Iraq. Me too. And I was initially. like, what the fuck? I don't think it was till this watch that I realized that it's just a funny. <laughs> I really don't. That was just a funny little clay thing. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of. Reagan's creations one of her sculptures and so yeah she's already accused Carl the old man of putting the crucifix in her room after already accusing him of pretending that there aren't rats even though he's like see no rats um and interestingly enough then the detective comes in he speaks to Chris he says watch out for a draft because a draft Mm. in a warm house is like a breeding ground for bacteria and I was like that's interesting because her room's always cold you know, it's some kind of allusion to the fact that, oh, yeah, she no. does have a drafty room. I guess. And the bacteria is the, <laughs> I don't the know. demon. <laughs> I don't know. That might be stretching the metaphor what, as what far as it goes. What do you think of the detective? I, he is another one who's played in a very interesting way. He is. I'm kind of <laughs> charmed by him. So am I. He's almost like Columbo. He's almost like Peter Falk's Columbo. Exactly. But he is weird. Like, I can't pretend that he's not a very strange seeming You know, man. I thought was kind of a bad move, but I did find it a little bit charming, is mm. when he asks for the autograph, and then she says, oh, what's your daughter's name? And he's like, I lied, it's for me. I lied. Yeah. Yeah. That and then was... he, sa- he says, you're a very nice lady or something. And then he surmises that basically his team is telling him it's more likely that someone twisted Burke's head around 180 degrees and, and then, then pushed him out the window because <laughs> falling he... down a set of stairs wouldn't twist your head around he said yeah maybe one time in a thousand he says <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i mean i've fallen down the stairs thank god not a thousand times so i mean <laughs> yeah because it's not the thousandth time that'll get you it, well is my head backwards clearly i haven't fallen down the steps a thousand um, times well is just for you podcast listeners his head is front <laughs> it's frontwards yeah sorry guys forgot blind hmm. medium should, should have explained that more clearly. He picks up some of the drawings, and this makes me laugh because one thing I find a lot working with youth is that people, whether it's their teachers or their parents or whatever, they'll always like bring me kids' drawings. And, oh, like they want to interpret <laughs> meaning from it? They get uncomfortable because maybe there's someone who's clearly dead in the drawing or, or something like that. And they assign, I think, too much meaning to it mm-hmm. sometimes. And I mean, I've got kids myself, right? It's yeah. like the art, a lot of times, like we were talking about, Reagan draws a giant dog with wings. And it's like, what, does that mean? what is the meaning of that? Well, And I kind of think that it's a slippery slope to read too much into art at all and think that you can intuit what a person intentions are or like what their character is but i just think that's funny and so a lot of times i'm like oh yeah i see what you mean i'll hold on to this but it's like and and i think that there is an important role that can be played by art therapy but that's really different yes but i kind of feel yeah i feel like to use it to help people get 
an outlet and sure. express their emotions, but not the idea of someone, you know, sneaking into my room and looking yes. at something that I was doodling with and thinking that because I drew like something dark or spooky that it means that I'm a spooky, creepy person. Well, right. And the, the art therapy that I've been a part of, the person who was guiding it was asking for certain art the kid would make it and they would ask them questions about it. They wouldn't mm-hmm. just be like, Use I could tell by this brush stroke yeah, that exact... this, this kid is murderous or something no. like that. So I, I just, that made me laugh because using it to help them express themselves is what you're describing. Exactly. Yeah. And I've been asked to interpret many pieces of art. Oh boy. <laughs> but I don't, I don't come up with many. Grand... You say it wasn't in my, wasn't part of my training. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm not a trained art interpreter <laughs> of, uh, you know, a JK student's art or something <laughs> like that. But I think he probably wants to kill his mother. <laughs> probably. I mean, probably nine times out of ten. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's like it's the most common reason to draw a dog with giant wings. So then there's next scene stuff flying around the room. This is the crucifix scene. So most people describe it as the crucifix masturbation, masturbation scene. But I think a lot of people have rightly pointed out that it's Self-harm. a genital mutilation scene. Yeah. Although it's clearly done for sexual reasons. She tells she her says, mom to me. lick her. Fuck me. Yeah, yeah. She says, let Jesus fuck you, which is very shocking even today. But probably one of the most famous scenes, I would imagine, of the whole movie. Oh, yeah. You or think? Yeah, definitely one of the most famous moments. What What do you think is the, the most famous might be? Puke. I would say the head turning scene. The head turning. But... Yeah. Interestingly enough, this is the first scene where she does the head turning. So it's daylight. She does it super quick. And that's when she's like, do you know what she did? Your hunting hunting daughter. daughter? And that is so if you remember, listener. Yeah, I I knew. I wondered if you were going to throw it all the way back to near near the beginning of the podcast. We had said, you know, we were so certain when we were younger that our dad loved this movie, which is how we got turned on to it, which we probably we're thanking him for getting us into horror in the first place, basically. But there was one time we were playing a board game and it's the blockbuster board game. And basically you have three cards Mm -hmm. in front of you. You have to try to get your team to guess which movies they are. And you're allowed to act one out. You're allowed to say one word about one of them. And then you're allowed to do a quote from one. So I thought, okay, I've got this in the bag, right? I had The Exorcist, and so I saved that one for the quote because I was so sure I could get my dad to guess it. And it comes to my turn, and I say, your mother sucks cocks in hell. And he looked at <laughs> and me. And he said, what? <laughs> he looked at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I was like, I just, there's nothing I could say except your mother sucks cocks <laughs> in hell multiple times Again. for him to never guess it and to think that he had raised some disgusting terrible son that that's what told us that maybe we were wrong about him loving that movie the way that we thought he did from here meets karis on the bridge he ends up following up with her and going to observe her but he basically says i'm going to be doing this as a psychiatrist right oh yeah and one of the things that she says he startles her and and she thinks that he's a fan and he says, oh, sorry, I should have been in uniform. And Chris says, yeah, that would have helped. <laughs> and it's like, so she's immediately rude to Father Karras as well. And frankly, my opinion is that Father Karras is one of the nicest men. He's just represented in such a good way. Yeah. He only does good stuff in this movie. 
And yeah. Chris is immediately kind of snappy with him, but I, I understand think, as well that she's under a lot of stress. I was going to say, I think that we're supposed to interpret from that that she is at the end of her rope. And I think she's that's not fair. She's not dressing like she did at the beginning of the movie. No, she's wearing like grandma sunglasses that they used to drive and like a bonnet. And she has that while well, she's wearing the sunglasses because she's got the bruise from Reagan. Oh. Yeah, so they meet and they're at loggerheads because she's saying, I've already been to psychiatrists and stuff like yeah. that. And he's like, well, that's what I am. That's more of the advice I can give rather than as a priest. But they kind of end up on the idea that they will go forward together and he'll try to help. And then he goes to see Reagan. One of the interesting things that he says is, we don't do them anymore since we learned about paranoia, schizophrenia, and mental illness. And I thought, like, that's a pretty decent, even today, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a pretty decent statement to make. Because when we're looking into these kind of things where we could have a confusion about, is there a religious preoccupation or is there a true demonic possession, which we don't really look into in the same way that it was 100 years ago. Those would be just the type of mental illnesses we'd probably be talking about. Absolutely. One thing that I've said many, many times to people before is I don't think that everyone realizes the extremes of the human experience, like what the human body is actually capable of, because anything that it is technically possible for a person to do, like literally physically possible, they've done it. Like. Right speak in a totally wild voice completely right. unlike their own people do it wild wild things people have done it eating You're tide pods eating yeah people have done that without even having necessarily being mentally ill just right. being teenagers <laughs> but i remember there's that story about um the the exorcism of emily rose was based on loosely based yes. on a real person and a real court case of this german girl who ended up dying i think she starved to death But before that, there had been multiple rounds of attempted exorcism kind of thing. And the evidence that they provided was things that I'm like... Look how this person was acting. Yeah, I'm like, a person can do that. I've seen people act like that and more. And Mm -hmm. people being like, it must be a demon. Yeah, well, maybe it's just a difficulty someone has reconciling, right? That someone really that, could be in a state that they yeah. would be acting this way people right? people don't realize just what you can do if you're pushed to the brink right it's wild it, it is wild your brain is a really incredible thing it can work super well or but when it goes haywire it makes things happen that yeah that a lot of people wouldn't believe it's a little tangential but remember yeah remember in the exorcism of emily rose when i don't they know if put, i've seen it they put her feet in the bucket of water and it starts bubbling, mm. and they're like, "Is this regular water?" And it's <laughs> no, like, it's oh, bubble water." Oh, I'm so sorry. It's this seltzer. Is, this is pineapple. Yeah. Aha! I'm yeah. so sorry. Is that not okay? Will that not work? No, it's seltzer. Yeah, we have seen that. <laughs> um. So yeah, he meets her for the first time. She looks on death's door. She's all yeah, cut so, up. Yeah, she's she looks so... like a zombie. Yeah. She pops the drawer open. He and says, he says, "Do it again." Yeah, and she won't. Yeah, right. And she's like, "So in then, time. are we supposed to?" And yeah, and interpret from that that maybe it's not real, or just that Pazuzu's fucking. Because I think I think it's basically that Pazuzu is like a trickster. Trickster. You know what I mean? And then also he says, "Well, if you're the devil, then make your straps disappear." And she says that would be too vulgar a display of power, which I thought was was pretty interesting. Mm. So it's enough for him to at least still, well, certainly question whether 
it could be just that she needs a psychiatrist, right? Mm -hmm. He needs evidence that the church needs to even think about an exorcism, which includes her possibly speaking in tongues and doing other things. And she does end up speaking backwards. Yes. And so Father Karras, I guess some kind of language expert, he asks. And he's like, it is a language, all right. It's English. I thought that was ridiculous. I thought the guy sitting there listening to it, and it was like... He's like, this is backwards English. That's easy. I'm a language expert. That just made me think, like, you know, when people talk about the White Album being played backwards that you can hear, like... Subliminal messages. Well, yeah, but have you ever actually listened to it played backwards? Oh, yeah. It sounds crazy. Paul is dead. He lost his his hands his head. Like, it doesn't doesn't sound... I'm like, maybe you can... If you put subtitles on it, I can hear what you're trying to make It doesn't sound like human speech. No. No. There is another interesting part here because... Number one, he says to Chris, he says, you probably know more about demonic possession than most priests, which I thought like, wow, that was a that was a cool line, I thought. Mm. He also says, and this was, I thought, like a great take. He says that when he was in there talking to Reagan, she said that she was the devil himself, mm-hmm. right? He picks up on her saying that, that she was the literal devil. Mm-hmm. And he says that's the same as someone saying that they're Napoleon Bonaparte. Mm. Like I've seen so many people in a psychotic state like this, that that's exactly what they might say. And so, yeah, I thought that was a great take because he's attributing it to a grandiose idea and delusions of grandeur, right? That someone Mm -hmm. is having this kind of hallucinatory experience. They are at the center of it and it's like going to be as extreme as it could be. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to be some demon they're going to be the devil Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and i thought like yeah exactly i I completely agree with his take as a psychiatrist in that regard yeah that's a grandiose statement and then he recommends six months under observation and i was like yes that's exactly what i would hope for if this were my own client in front of me i'd Mm. be like i need to get them somewhere where an expert can observe them for a certain period of time rejig any medications that might need it and watch out for any environmental stressors. So I was like, yes, Father Mm -hmm. Karras is clearly doing a great job as a psychiatrist in the 1970s. Yeah, good for you. Right? Like that that's a hot take, I agree. Right. Yeah. Father Karras basically brings all the stuff to the church. They agree to move forward with an exorcism and and in comes Father Marin. So basically boom, next scene. He's in Georgetown. Pulling up for why do you think it's such an iconic scene when he rocks like up, an image, gets out of the cab and walks in front of the house? Like, what is it about that? Because that is like, even when I'm thinking about The Exorcist, that's what comes to my mind well, in terms of it a still image. I'm quite sure it is the movie cover, right? I think it is, and also he is the exorcist, he is the exorcist. I think that's why, and also it's a striking image because. It's not black and white, but it might as well be because it's all, it's all silhouetted. It's right? all silhouette. Yeah. So it's just a cool, stark image. And because that actually Karis is is a priest and like and helps with it. But he is the exorcist. Good point. And I just think like he's kind of standing there. He's got all his gear to do it. And he's kind of looking up at the place that he's going to be mm-hmm. doing it. So he's kind of like it's right at the kind of rising action mm-hmm. where it's like yeah. he's there to do the exorcism like it's yeah it's a very important key scene even right even though we are deep into the movie by then hell yeah yeah like it, it's far. gotta be the last third of the movie yeah right quarter even like yeah 
And then they start the exorcism. Father Karras is obviously following Father Marin's lead. But one of the cool things I thought about was they see so much stuff. So they're using the holy water. It's cutting her skin. Mm -hmm. They're using all the different kind of passages and the call and response and things like that. And she's vomiting. Those are some things that would push past kind of the pale, right? Is the vomiting supposed to be in response to like it's hurting the demon and so the puke is like i'm like suffering or is it like i'm gonna get puke on you is it an attack i think certainly when she pukes on father karis it's like fuck you because i don't think he's doing much to hurt her at that point right and do you remember when she hawks a loogie on that's it is revolting yes i don't know what they're using it's like custard it's you know what too for some of the puke they used pea soup i did know that <laughs> no pea soup i've ever eaten With pea soup is fucking disgusting so they I made a perfect choice soup. there pea i soup love is it the worst it's my favorite soup well you that's disgusting <laughs> you. you're gross and well, that, it's like it's know. it's green and thick and like no vegetables <laughs> <laughs> there's no no carrots onion ham that's yeah, where's my all the color soup. come on well and when she's vomiting with Marin, it's like leaking out of her She's looking to the side. It's very oh. slowly running oh, out. God. She's almost like catatonic. It, and it gets And it gets on his pretty purple scarf. Yes. Which he then hands to Karis, who has to go clean it in the oh, sink. Oh, and it's, when he hands it over, there's like, it's keeping so much of the puke <laughs> yeah, with it. He folds it up. He folds it, it in, <laughs> yeah, to like preserve it. And, it will, and good for Father Karis, just takes it. Doesn't say anything. Yep. He just goes in. And And then he has to kiss it again. And it's all (laughs) covered in puke. That's dedication. Yeah, that's a good priest. I was finding it interesting because the way I was looking at it was the whole movie, Father Karras has been having a crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. And then in the room, I think he was having like a crisis of science, basically. Yeah. Because he had discounted all this stuff. And then he's watching the bed when she floated off the bed and he won't give his response mm-hmm. and Marin has to ask for it like three times. So I thought like he's having like a crisis now of science because he's seeing irrefutable evidence that the religious stuff is real mm-hmm. and is right in his face. He would have thought like never in a hundred years would he have thought he'd be seeing something like that. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. and he was all rocked by it. Right. Definitely. And Father Marin just keeps trucking with the exorcism. One of the interesting parts was that she was waiting for Father Marin to get there. Yes, because it's Pazuzu and him, right? right? Our nemeses. Yeah, like reason. Holmes and Moriarty. Yeah. And and there was a scene that made me think of another one of our favorite movies, which mm-hmm. is The Lord of the Rings. Yep. Because when she's upstairs hollering and she's like, yep. Marin! Mm-hmm. It made me think of the first time we ever hear Gollum. When he's like, Shire! Baggins! But he's being it's tortured. It's like exactly the same thing. Yeah. So that was super cool. And then basically he kicks Father Karras out at one point. He says, you have oh, to go. Uh, yes, but that's because what is She's Karras doing? She's impersonating his mom. Yeah, and he, and he went, you're not my mother! Or like, yeah, shut up! It. And that actually seemed like, even if it weren't, at crisis point, it's just a matter of professionalism. Uh, you're taking it too personally, and that would be something that we would definitely do. Hundred percent. Subtly in a professional setting, is we would go like, yeah, like, can I talk to you outside and say, yeah, <laughs> you need to focus up. You're not acting professionally. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're you're taking her using your mother's your dead mother's voice a little too personally. You need to leave. Yeah. 
And I, yeah, I mean, come on, who hasn't that happened to? Uh, exactly. It's like this another day at the office. I did have someone tell me when I had, I didn't know them well at all. Like it's not a patient that I had known for long. I guess they just guessed, say, I'm going to kill your brothers. And I thought that that was interesting because I do have two brothers. And I was like, Ugh. you didn't breach P. Hippa to warn me. Yeah. Said, what if she came to kill me? I'm going to kill your brothers. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. It's all right. That was years ago. And here you are. Yeah, I'm still kicking. <laughs> so far. And I don't think that there have been any attempts on my life either. None that you'll ever know about. No. Just terrible, terrible attempts, apparently. Yeah, the very bad. Poorly <laughs> executed. Failed poisonings and the like. So he makes Karis leave. But then Karis comes back. Well, what, by the time he gets back up there, is Father Marin is dead. Is dead. Yes. yes. Okay. So I almost thought that I missed something when I was watching it because I was like, oh, when did he die? And then he goes and does the chest thumping. And then he just decides, fuck it. I'm getting in a fist fight with this demon. And he just starts and he, beating her oh, up. Yes. And was that Linda Blair that I he was grabbing not. by oh, the neck God. and throwing around? I hope not. Because I really thought that when I was watching it. And so he beats the shit out of her. Yep. And he starts doing his crazy scene like, take me, damn it. Come yeah. into me. And a very, very sweet man he is. Yeah. And I think that he did a pretty good job. And I they did a good job conveying that it had gone from her into him with just 100%. The, the contacts and the slight change to his face was enough that I feel Looked like great. I can see how that idea might be difficult to convey, but they I think they did a great job doing that. And it was super obvious. And then it, there's a really brief point of view moment where his yes. remember his hands are over That's what her. I thought it was like reminding me of some other kind of horror movies that do yeah. that same thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, I thought that was so interesting. Like bl- like Black Christmas does a lot of POV stuff. Or like the beginning of Halloween with yeah. Michael Myers. Yes, that's right. And when he's a little kid. And it kid. was so brief. It was less than a second. Yeah. But and it was then, like, wow, that stuck out to me. And Because he, he looks at the window and then looks down at her and is like, no, I'm going to stop myself from doing that. Out the window I go. And it's so cool because you can see him force it down. Yeah. And then dives out the window, and this just solidifies what a good guy I, Father Karras is. Oh, what a good guy Father Karras is, and what a good guy uh, Piano Priest is, because then he comes down the stairs, yes. and he gives him his last rites, which would be extremely difficult to do, I would have to imagine, with your dying friend. Although you would also feel extremely obligated to do it with your dying friend. Indeed, right? And so yeah. I just think Father Karras, obviously the MVP of the whole thing. Yeah. Shout out to Father Marin, too. Yep, he did Can't blame part. him. He certainly the did his part. The exorcist himself. Yes, the one and only exorcist. Although I suppose and Father Karras The end of it is that too. is that poor Reagan and her mom are so fucked up. They're just like 100%. weeping and screaming in each other's arms. And the cool thing I liked was that they say Reagan didn't remember anything. Oh, right? good, good, But good. then she comes out and Chris says, oh, Reagan, this is Father oh, Dyer. And she right? gives... And she shows a zoom in on his collar. Yes. And she gives him like a big a kiss. Big, and so it's yes. like she's giving her gratitude that she has for Father Marin and Father Karras to Father Dyer. And I to thought that priesthood. was like a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And another thing before, I don't know if it was like it had to be this way. And that's what the movie was trying to say. But before Pazuzu does jump into Father Karras, she like snatches his chain off and then mm-hmm. she jumps into him. Right. So I don't know if like he wouldn't have been able to jump into Father Karras while he was still wearing that. I'm not sure. Mm. But I thought it was like just another really cool thing because he had the dream Mm -hmm. about it falling off of him and everything before. So I thought that really kind of brought that imagery home to me. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was so cool. So 
any final thoughts now that we've been through the whole thing? Uh, I'd say that, as we said before, the practical effects still hold up so much because I still totally. get physically grossed out by the textures of the bodily fluids on display. Yeah. And Linda Blair, as a very young person, did a very good job. Yes, that could have derailed the whole movie, right? Oh, 100%. She was so central to it. And everything that's scary and spooky in that movie comes from the crazy wild things that she does. Yep. And Do you think from... it's still scary in 2022? No. No. I, I'm not scared watching it. I don't feel scared either. I feel like unsettled. Sometimes yeah. like if I watch something like that too late at night, I'll go to bed with an uneasy feeling. But it's mm-hmm. not because I was like on the edge of my seat scared. Yeah. But I'm totally captivated by all of the yeah. scenes with the possession. Right. And and I think it is still shocking. Like I would say yeah. that yes. it's still shocking that someone wrote this, filmed it, everything. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think I, it. I think it book. Yeah, it was. Yes. It was a book, and there were multiple books, I think, in the series. Mm. Um, but I would still call it shocking, even even by today's yes. standards, especially because a lot of people wouldn't be willing to go quite as far to show such shocking visuals with regards to religion. And, and also in a kid doing it. And a kid it, doing it, it's right. It's like kind of taboo on multiple levels. True, and yeah, I, good yeah, point. And I like the religiosity of it. I think that it's it's fun and interesting and rich, like just rich subject matter. What is your mental health takeaway? My mental health takeaway, honestly, I was shocked that I didn't have more to say like this would never be that way or this isn't represented well or something like that. Outside of the scene where Damien Karras's mom is placed in that facility, which I thought maybe was pushing the envelope a bit with the way it would actually be. Mm -hmm. I thought the takes were really good. I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, Karras seems like a really good psychiatrist, in my opinion. And I was happy He's to see that. and thorough and obviously patient-centered. Yeah, and, and there wasn't too much going on. Sometimes they get so bombastic. Anytime there's mental health even being questioned in mm-hmm. a horror film, they'll suggest some wild treatment or they'll make these yeah. claims about a mentally ill person that are way beyond the scope yeah. or something like that. I like, can't wait to talk about some movies that we can kind of rip to shreds in that way because this one... Yeah, all in all in all, the messages are good. I think that the characters are represented pretty sensitively as well. And yeah, like you said, they pretty good 1970s psychiatrist. So I'm thinking even like you like you've alluded to before where sometimes they like to selectively use mental illness where they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, well he acted this way in this scene because he was mentally ill, mm-hmm. but then he presented as as totally functioning perfectly well outside of that yeah whereas reagan it made perfect sense to question okay is this a psychotic episode Mm -hmm. her life was in shambles she was bedridden Mm -hmm. there was nothing going on outside of her possession scenes where she was like oh she's perfectly fine the rest of the time right no it did make perfect sense to say is this a person whose mental health is deteriorating really really fast and this is what's going on because it, it, she was so disorganized. She was just totally wrapped up in what was going on that it was everything for that period of time, right? Yeah. So it would make sense to say, is this a person who's having a really intense psychotic episode and is broken from reality due to her very, very quickly declining mental health? So I thought that that made a lot of sense. All in all, you know, five stars or five thumbs up or whatever we're giving it. Like in terms of where it ranks in my favorites... <laughs> I don't think that it's it's the tip top. No. Nope. But no. 
But it's one of those ones that, of course, you're going to respect it for what it is. And you. Oh, it's like me and Aerosmith. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like the Beatles music. You don't need to love the Beatles to recognize that they were obviously an incredibly important band. You don't need to listen to them all the time to know that. Well, you, as you know, having known me a long time, you know that I think the Beatles were a bunch of hacks. But whatever, yep. if that's your take on it. I, I I rate this movie 10 dug up statues out of a possible 10. Okay. It probably is my favorite horror movie, I think. But I could, huh. it, I could get that down. That surprises me. I have a lot of trouble making that assertion. I have a lot of trouble picking my favorite horror movie. But I absolutely love this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it too. It has similar vibes to a movie that I know we'll talk about soon, The Omen, which the is, Omen of a is similar time frame, and I absolutely love it. So yeah, had a lot of fun talking about it, and it was great to start the podcast with this particular movie because, yep. like I say, it's required reading for any horror fan. Anyone who we spoiled the ending to The Exorcist tonight, fuck you. <laughs> and this movie is brought to you by our sponsor, Captain Howdy's oh. Ouija Boards. <laughs> yeah. Insert sponsor with very deep pockets here. Mark. Let's see. Big Pharma. They could maybe they could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're one of the few people vying for a Big Pharma sponsorship. Oh. Anyway, this has been your dose of the Fear Response podcast. And we thank you for joining us. <laughs> the end. This is all gold, but it doesn't belong in this podcast. Sorry. Oh, you like Italian food. <laughs>